you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't, don't worry, I'm going to take you through it. But I want to open with a quick story. Uh, those Most of you remember I was a youth pastor before I came here. And back at the uh, up in Washington State where I was a youth pastor, uh, there was a young lady who was in our youth group. And she was one of those young ladies that really... Uh, you could just tell us had a passion for youth group, a passion for worship, a passion for everything. I mean, just one of those zesty, bubbly young girls. And, um, and she was a, a part of a, her mom was a single mom. And so it was just the two of them. And uh, we kind of adopted this family as a church, really took care of them. And, you know, I, I was there for almost 10 years. So, uh, you know, everybody cycled in and out of that youth group. But I remember later on, we got a call from the church and her mom was quite sick. And there was a pastor on call who was gonna go do it. And I said, you know what? I know this family and I, I know this, you know, this young lady used to be in our youth group. She's gotta be about 19 or 20 now. I'll go over and check in on her and pray for her. So I get there and, and sure enough, this young lady, 19 or 20 years old, answers the door and lets me in. I, you know, she knew who I was and knew why I was there because she called for it. And, and I remember just kind of saying, you know, um, Hey, how you doing? You know, are you still are you still walking as strong with the Lord as you used to? And almost a hundred percent of the time when I ask that, people lie to me. They never tell me the truth. You know, they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm doing great." You know, "Oh, I know, I need to get back in church." Or, "Oh, I know, yeah." I mean, I always get sort of a canned answer. I love it when somebody is honest with me. And she looked at me and she said, "You know what?" I'm, I don't really believe that stuff anymore. And I was like, at first I was like, thank you. Thank you for being honest with me. She said, yeah, I just don't kind of believe in that stuff anymore. But my mom does, and it kind of makes her feel better. So I thought if you could come over and pray for her, you know, she, she, she'll feel better. And I said, well, well why? Why, don't, why did you walk away from Why don't you believe, you know? And, and she said, well, she said, as I got older, I realized we just know too much now. Uh, know too much why we, we just know too much now we science has kind of disproven god you know so science has disproven god and and we know that life is just kind of random without any purpose things just happen there's no rhyme or reason to it we know that good and evil are just human constructs i could tell she's in college because that's how they talk there and she's like you know pastor tom we're not cave people anymore believing in invisible spirits now here's the thing I never try to argue points with people who talk like that. Now, you're never, whenever it de de devolves into an argument, there's just, nobody wins those. You know, I could win on all points and that person will walk away, well, I still don't want anything to do with it. Because they see God as silly. They see Jesus as for weak people. They don't actually see that Jesus makes us strong. And sadly, I have seen the witness of some Christians that's so pathetic. I would conclude that Jesus is for weak people by the way they nullify the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Here's a question I always ask. So what do you do? Because so some of you may be like, hey, I run into that from time. What do you do when you're in that situation? Here's the question you ask. I'll make you wait for it. <laughs> Two seconds after you die, are you 100% sure, 100% sure that there isn't an afterlife, that you won't face God, and that you won't have to give an account for the life you lived on earth? 
Are you 100% sure? Don't lie to me. You haven't lied to me so far. Don't lie to me now. Are you 100% sure? You close your eyes, you breathe your laugh, and that's just it, your worm food. Or does your immaterial spirit actually come into the presence of eternal beings in the afterlife and there is a God? Now, you know, every time I ask that, they'll often say, well, I'm mostly sure. Or, well, it just kind of seems to me. Or, oh, you know, I'm a reasonable person. But when they're honest with me, they never say they're 100% sure. So then I ask, well, well, what do you do with that? Let's say you're 95% sure. What do you do with the other 5% that holds out that after you breathe your last, there might be something more out there? And they say this, well, on, on the off chance that there is, I try to be a good person, right? I try to live a good life. And of course, what's the next question after that? Well, how good is good, right? How do you know if you've been good enough? How do you know if you measure up to whatever standard of goodness needs to be there? Oh, well, I would look for the Bible. And I always tell them, don't look for the Bible. (laughs) Because the biblical standard, nobody can live up to. Don't look for the Bible. (laughs) All right. Have you kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Well, no. Okay, then don't go by that standard. (laughs) And I'll always say, you see, that is why I trust in Jesus. It's better to have Jesus and not need him than to need Jesus and not have him. Amen? It's better to have Jesus and not need him than to need Jesus and not have him. And so I tell him, Jesus is God's plan, God's best and perfect plan to forgive us of our sins and heal us from the guilt and fear as we approach the afterlife. That is the essence of the New Testament. That is the sum total of the gospel right then and there. It's not about what we do. It is totally about what Jesus has already done. The question is, will we humble ourselves and judge ourselves and bow our knee to Jesus to receive that? That's the question on the table. The seventh promise for the pandemic is God's answer for guilt is assurance of pardon. Assurance of pardon. I want to read a scripture. This is a little bit in the deep end of the pool, but this is the guts of Christianity. And I want to give it to you this morning. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says this. For the law, what is the law? The Old Testament. Just transfer law with Old Testament. For the Old Testament was only a shadow of the good things to come. It's not like the Old Testament and the New Testament are equal. The Old Testament is the shadow. It was kind of the picture. It was, the, it, it was to point to the things to come. But it was not in and of itself effective. The, the Old Testament was a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of the thing itself. For it can never, by the same sacrifices which are offered every year, make those who approach perfect. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. What is this writer saying? Let me put it to you bluntly. The Old Testament Jews sacrificed about half a billion animals. Half a billion. 
And listen to me. Not one sin was forgiven by any of those animal sacrifices. That's what this guy's saying. That's what the Bible says. Half a billion animals, not one sin forgiven. You may say, then why did they do that? This is going into the even deeper end of the pool, but I'll tell you, it was to cleanse the temple, not to cleanse the person. For the, he'll say down here, the blood of bulls and goats could never bring that kind of atonement. Let's keep going. It says here in verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, that was the animals they sacrificed. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It says, but we have been sanctified through the one-time offering of Jesus Christ on the cross to take away sins once for all time. 1,500 years, day in and day out, they are slaughtering and sacrificing animals and not one sin is forgiven. Jesus shows up and one afternoon dies on the cross and the sins of the whole world are forgiven. That's amazing. He says, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins all time, sat down, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back to verse 11. Every priest stands daily offering time after time the same sacrifices which can, which can never take away sins. But Jesus was one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. So here's a good question. How many of you brought a lamb to be sacrificed to church today, right? How many of you brought a bull? To, you know, we don't. We don't do that. Half a billion sacrifices over 1,500 years and not one sin was forgiven. Now this verse shows something very interesting. It shows this. In the Old Testament, all day long, the priests are slaughtering, they're sacrificing, and they're working to have their sins forgiven. They don't sit and rest in it. They are stressed out. They are on their feet. At the end of the day, they, all the priests were giving each other foot rubs because they were sacrificing all day. And here's the thing. They woke up the next morning and they had to do the same thing all over again. Jesus did it once and then sat down. Why did he sit down? For the same reason after most of you, after a hard days of work, what do you do? You go home and you do what? You rest, but how do you rest? How do many Americans rest after work? We sit down on this thing called a what? Couch. Well, I was going to say chair, but couch, you know. <laughs> we sit down on this thing on a couch and rest because the work is over. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. The work is over. Jesus has sat down. You see, with Jesus, everything is finished. There's nothing more you need to do than what Jesus has not already done. Save one thing. Humble yourself, judge yourself, and say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I judge my sin, and I give it to you, and I want your death on the cross to be my death on the cross. The four words to summarize the Old Testament are this. Blood, death, sacrifice, and again. Repeat. Yeah, I like that better. Blood, death, 
sacrifice, repeat. Every day, every day, it would still be going on. Every day. The four words of the New Testament are this. Jesus' death, resurrection, new birth, finished. Finished. One more observation. For those of you who ever, I've had people say, I want to read the Bible. They get through, Genesis is fun, isn't it? It's all the old stories and the power of God and the flood and Genesis is fun. Exodus is kind of fun, right? The first half of it is the parting of the Red Sea and all these miracles and all these things going on. But then you get to Leviticus and it, what happens? It gets boring, doesn't it? Actually, when you know what to look for, it gets even more exciting because Jesus is all over Leviticus. But let me tell you one thing that Leviticus does. It describes this thing called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the church of the Old Testament, right? When they built the tabernacle, they go to great lengths to talk about the furniture, right? There was the bronze altar, right? There was the table for the shoe bread. There was the candles, the candelabra. Uh, There was the incense, right? There was the curtains and the tents. Do you know the one piece of furniture that you do not find in the Old Testament tabernacle? You do not find a chair. You know why you do not find a chair? Because the work was never finished. The sacrifice was never finished. The the forgiveness of their sins was never finished. But in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, you know what it says? Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 is like equal to Exodus and Leviticus. And in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 it says this, And Jesus went up to teach them, and he what on the mountainside? He sat down. And he had the people sit down too. See, we don't have to work every day to get our sins forgiven. There's nothing you can do. Only Jesus could do that. And so that's the beauty. I have youth kids and I have young adults always saying, you know what, I need to be a better person so that God will accept me. I need to be a better person so that God will forgive me. Hey, I think you should be a better person. But there's nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore or make Jesus' cross any more effective. It is all you need to go to bed tonight and not be afraid to die. Because I'll tell you something this. I lived the first few years of my adult life not really as a Christian. Wasn't sure what I believed. I would be what you would call an agnostic. And you know what the tough part of agnostic is? You go to bed a little bit afraid. If I don't wake up tomorrow, I have no clue what's going to happen. I remember I was like 17, 18, and I loved to do daredevil stuff. And, you know, one time... I was playing capture the flag, and we were in an abandoned hotel. <laughs> this is a great place to play capture the flag, by the way. If you want, abandoned hotel is the way to do it. And, and somebody was chasing me back to my side, and this was when I was athletic. I actually hurdled the wet bar that was empty. I hurdled it, but on the other side, there were these huge spikes coming up. I don't know what the spikes were even for. But they were everywhere, and I hurtled myself, and I saw myself coming down. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I didn't. It went through my leg. It went through it. Actually, I had to have my friend pull it off, and I have, I'll show you the scar one time. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. 
I'll show you this car sometime. But the spike went through. I was like hung. I was like caught like a fish in a hook. He had to, he had to pick me up and take me off. And I remember sitting there, and it's bleeding, and, and somebody came and helped me. And just that sense of, man, I am not prepared to die. I mean, at 17, you don't think about it. At 17, you got your whole life ahead of you. But it just takes one dumb thing. You know how many funerals I've done for people between 17 and 28? A lot, more than I ever thought I ever would. Because we aren't, aren't promised tomorrow. And I remember going to bed that night, kind of freaked out, like, man, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what I believe. I, don't, I think, there, think there probably is a God. I don't think this stuff just happened. Trees and nothing. No, it's too perfect. I, I remember just kind of messing with my mind. And I tried to start being a good person. Oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to start going to church, and I'm going to pray five times a day. And, I'm gonna, I start, and what, what was I doing? I was doing exactly what their priests were doing. Every day on my feet trying to work so that God would forgive me. It wasn't until somebody said, you know what, Tom, there's nothing you can do that Jesus hasn't already done. Sit down, relax, receive Jesus, get born again, and you will never go to bed afraid to die again. And that's exactly what happened. That's part of the reason why I am here today. Jesus' last words from the cross were, it is finished. Not, it's almost finished. In fact, I love somebody, <laughs> I, I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I'd have youth come in and preach. In fact, we had one of our youth preach last Wednesday. I don't know if you got to see it, but. Uh, and one time one of the youth were preaching, and, and the youth said, now what Jesus meant by that is, I've done my part, now you do yours. It's the only time I ever stopped a sermon right in the middle of it. And this kid was mad at me. But I had to. You know why? It's wrong. Jesus didn't say, I've done my part. Now you got to do yours. Jesus said, I have done everything. Now you ought to have faith. I had to stop the sermon and explain that because I didn't want the kids thinking, okay, Jesus has done all his part. Now I got to do mine. No, Jesus did it and it is finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. So I want to give you three things real quick and then send you home, hopefully to celebrate the sit-down salvation that Jesus offers us as opposed to the stand-up and work all day and still go to bed worried and fearful. Point number one, practice will never make perfect, right? When you join a sports team, practice makes perfect. When you're trying to learn an instrument, Practice makes perfect. But with Christianity, you can practice until you're blue in the face. You do not have perfection in you yet. That comes after we die. God will perfect you, and you will be able to stand in his presence face to face. This side of heaven, we will always make mistakes. Here's the thing I always love to tell teenagers. It's okay to be you. You're going to make mistakes. Jesus loves you anyway. He's a, so many kids stress out because they're not perfect. No, you are not perfect. Nobody is. Whether you're two or 92, we do not have perfection this side of heaven. So practice is never going to make perfect. However, by receiving Christ, we receive the promise of being perfected two seconds after we die. Number two, to receive Jesus 
means to receive the Bible. To receive Jesus means to receive the Bible, the whole Bible, everything that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there are angels and demons. You cannot see them, but they're real. Who knows? We, as we look around, we see a building, we see some trees, we see people, chairs. I submit to you that what you cannot see is that there are powerful beings all around here guarding us, praying for us. I think when we worship, the angels behind the fence there, I view them as like 15 or 20 feet tall. They're like rejoicing and singing with us. We can't see them, we can't hear them, but the Bible teaches that they are there and they exist. That demons are real and that they exist. Demons are fallen angels. Demons are angels committed to rebellion against God. Committed to destroying everything about your life that they can. Committed to getting you being like a priest, standing all day trying to work for something that Jesus offers for free. The Bible teaches that God heals. If you're sick or injured, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, but call the prayer team as well. God heals today, you know. God speaks through people today. The Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that there is a heaven and a hell. Why is all of this so important? Because when our faith in Christ works in harmony with our belief in the Bible, there is an even greater peace that you live with and God has for you every day you walk in this world. Imagine, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the devil, which the Bible clearly teaches that there is a devil. Sure, you may be going to heaven because you believe in Jesus, but you're living in hell because the devil is going to mess all over your life because you don't even think he's real. And when you're convinced he's not real, you've already lost the battle. It's only by the grace of God we don't go nuts. Jesus never meant for us to accept the cross, but ignore the word. And then finally, Jesus offers us a sit down and rest salvation, not a stand up and worry salvation. He's not like Santa Claus. What does Santa Claus do? He makes a and checks it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's not your boss calling you in for a yearly review. I want to tell you this right now from the bottom of my heart. Jesus Christ will be the best friend you ever have. Better than anybody here. Because he's done for you more than anybody else could do for you. That our identity in Christ will always be more important than our life success. Somebody was asking me, you know, because of COVID, you know, with church attendance being down and people being all disconnected. You know, we, we know they're watching by Facebook, but we can't see them. They're not here. We can't connect with them in the same way, right? By the way, those of you watching on Facebook, I'm not putting you down for that. But it's just the reality of what we live in. They said, Tom, does that kind of make, kind of bum you out as a pastor that, you know, all of that's happening? 
I said, yeah, maybe it bums me out, but not in the way you think. My ministry success will never be tied to my identity in Christ. In other words, my identity in Christ will always be infinitely more than my ministry success, my life success, my financial success. That is incomparably more because it is from that point I derive my joy, my peace, my patience, my compassion, my power, love. So we get to sit down in the salvation Jesus freely gives us. Do you know why the Jews crucified Jesus? I'll tell you why. It was over this point. Why pay the Jews, Jewish leaders, to do something for your soul that Jesus is offering for free? That's what it really came down to. Hey, we got to get rid of this guy because we're going to lose our whole religion over him. What they didn't realize is the blood of bulls and goats was never going to forgive one sin. You could give the church a million dollars that doesn't forgive one sin. You could do 10 backflips in a row for the Lord that doesn't forgive one sin. We are in a position where we can't do for ourselves what needs to be done. Only Jesus could. And when you receive that, you are able to sit down in his grace, sit down in his love. I remember we were on a mission trip to Mexico. And this is when it was really starting to get bad with the drug cartels. And we were in a place, we were in a little plaza, and it was getting late. And one of the vehicles broke down. And so there was a section of the team that had to stay into the evening where we were at. Bad news, you don't want that. Because in the evening, all the wolves come out. So we had separated and made sure it was just youth leaders and not students. And we got the students back, and it was me and about five youth leaders. And these were seasoned Christian youth leaders. And me plus four of them, we're all walking around, and we're freaking out. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're, we're just pacing like this. We're in total fear. And then I see the missionary just sitting on the curb, just kind of praying lightly in total peace. When I see that image of him just sitting in peace, that's what I think about with Jesus as he sits down in peace. You don't have to pace and worry anymore in life. When you got Jesus, you've got the best friend you'll ever have. There's a pastor who had told this story at a conference. It's a great story. He said he was doing a, a missionary uh, seminary. This is where pastors from America go to other countries and they do like a two-week Bible, Bible course. And he said, when I was there, one of the people helping was a man who had went to the same Bible college and seminary as me, even though I didn't know him. And so I went up to him and said, hey, my name's so-and-so. And I, you know, I said, uh, hey, I, are you, uh, how, where's your, where are you ministering? Where are you in ministry? What church do you serve? The man looked and said, I'm not serving a church right now. You see, I was a minister, but I made a mistake with money. I cost the church a lot of money, and the church fired me. 
And the pastor went, oh. And then he said, and I felt the direct voice of God. He said, this is not me. This is not how I think. He's like, the way I think is, yeah, if you screw up the money of the church, you shouldn't be in ministry. He said, but the direct voice of God said, ask him again, why are you not in ministry? So he went, why are you not in ministry? He just said it. The man said, I just told you, (laughs) I made a financial mistake and they fired me and so I'm not in ministry. And the pastor said, you told me that you made a mistake. You told me that you're not in ministry. But here's the thing. The mistake that you can't get over is a mistake that Jesus has already gotten over because he died and paid for it on the cross. Give me your name and number and I'm going to see if we can't get you serving again. Why? Because we live in a sit-down salvation, not a stand-and-worry salvation. The work that Jesus has done for us is finished. But the work that we have for God is not. And I'm asking you this morning, humbly but seriously, will you join LifePoint Church in the work that has yet to be done for God? Not the work that has to be done for you. That work Jesus has already finished. But the work of telling others There is a God. You're going to make mistakes. He's going to forgive you. And he loves you and he died for you. That work goes on until our dying breath. To tell the world, you'll never have to be afraid to die again. Now I'm asking you to not be afraid to live, to truly live. To live for Christ. And do everything we can to win all he sends. To let God use your uniqueness to demonstrate his uniqueness to the whole world. Let's pray for those who don't know Christ. For those who, like the priests, stand and work all their lives for a peace that will never come. For there is no other way to find peace for our guilt then by Jesus only and only Jesus. So this morning, I'd like to make a very simple invitation. If you have been standing and working and you've never just received the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of your soul through Jesus Christ, just standing and working, hoping, hoping that you make it, hoping that you'll be forgiven. Buy your heads, close your eyes right now. I'd just like you to raise your hand high in the sky and say, you know what? I don't want to stand and worry anymore. I want to sit in God's peace. Amen. 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 Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, we no longer make the sacrifices For you made the one and only sacrifice needed. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit and empower me to live for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.